Welcome to the Check It Out podcast. Thank you for listening. This is another podcast in our series on our one book, uh, World War Z by Max Brooks. I'm Troy Swanson. Trish I'm Joe Malarkey. And we are joined today by Michelle Furlow, faculty member from Criminal Justice. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Uh, One of the themes that we're going to talk about in our one book series this next year um, around World War Z is the idea of emergency preparedness. And obviously, zombies are not real that we know of yet. Um, the, The preparation for catastrophes and things like that are real. And zombies help us see that and talk about it, hopefully, in an entertaining and fun way. So I wanted to start, Michelle, and ask you, what are the things as an expert in the field that you see um, useful in the kind of stories that come from zombies and zombie preparedness and that kind of thing? Well, the CDC several years ago really ran with this idea on the concept that if you're prepared for a zombie apocalypse, you are prepared for any type of disaster, no matter what part of the country that you're in, that you will have the awareness to have water, shelter and food. If you are thinking of taking care of yourself, your own survival, how would you manage fear, contagion, and sheltering in place for zombies that you're really already in a mindset for any other sort of disaster that would be afflicting the American population, but this is a playful way to do it. It's a pretend way. We're not having the doom and gloom of we're all going to die in the next couple of days, so buckle down. But in a, a fun-loving, sort of safe way to, to think about it. And the CDC, through their uh, Public Health Preparedness Program, has offered a um, graphic novel, which is available online, including the list of all the things that you would personally need for your own survival if zombies were to begin to walk amongst us. And that is a great starting point to think about our own well-being in what could be many disasters. And we can put links up on the library website, but I would imagine if you went to Google and just typed in CDC and zombies, you'll get all kinds of stuff. All kinds of good information, correct, including exactly what you need to maintain your sanity and survival. (laughs) (laughs) As a a field, when I say emergency preparedness, as a field of study, um, could you, how would you describe that? What is that? What does that mean? Well, emergency preparedness is a bit of an offshoot of the larger emergency management field, which we have had natural disasters in the history of the United States from the beginning of the history of our colonies. But where it really got most of its recognition as a formal field was obviously after September 11th. We had one of the most tragic events that required coordination between multiple agencies at multiple levels and a level of fear that, as the American public, we had never felt before. However, we have these various fire stations responding, emergency medical services responding, the select few, the heroes in society, all running to the problem, but yet they couldn't communicate with one another. We didn't know who was in the building. Port Authority, if you know from the history, actually told people, go back upstairs in Tower 2, you are safe. The fire department's telling everybody, get out. Individual security firms within the building were telling different information. So this highlighted a strong need to, how do we coordinate multi-agency efforts in disasters, or even emergencies, before it happens um, at the local, state, and federal level? So where they actually took a look was the firefighters out west. 
they had been doing this sort of coordination for, for years and had been very successful at it. However, it was fairly located, or um, pardon me, it was fairly succinct to, the, that, to that area. So why don't we take what's worked well and move it to the national level? Katrina hits, 2005, I believe, if my memory recalls correctly. Mm -hmm. And we've made some vast improvements, but there were still tremendous difficulties in communication. Right. How do we get people out? A majority of the population, or maybe it was a third of the population, didn't evacuate in time. And then the tremendous long lines of mm -hmm. getting people out, getting access to food, and then the, the media ran with riots. So Katrina then really highlighted, even four years into emergency management, we have a lot to do. So what we're seeing now today then, because of the increase in funding that happened after September 11th, we're seeing a pop-up of most of your businesses require an emergency manager that will write a plan for your individual business to ensure continuity. Municipalities will hire an emergency manager to work as the individual that oversees the public safety, working with hospitals, public works, and typically they try to work in a um, four-phase cycle, mitigation, prepa preparation or um, planning, response and recovery. Mitigation being how can we make changes prior to anything actually happening to reduce the likelihood of an, an event. Reinforcing roofs, having an operating sewer system, having access to hospitals. Whereas planning is the element of are, what threats are we faced with here in our community? Mm -hmm. Can we put plans into action? Writing on what everyone is supposed to do, who do they respond to, who's on call when, may be that finite but maybe a general operation plan. Clearly response is when the incident does happen. How do we jump into action? Hopefully that emergency operation plan then is not just sounding good on paper and it actually is a livable document. And then probably the most important part, recovery. We're still seeing in New Orleans, they're in recovery. Joplin, Missouri, right. after the tornado, they're still in recovery. The recovery phase is fairly, it's very long, the financial ramifications, but also the lessons learned. What went well and what can be improved on because if an emergency or disaster happened once, it could happen again. So even Joplin, Missouri, what lessons could we learn here in our area if a tornado of that magnitude came through? We may have different size population, different uh, levels of municipality, what worked and what didn't. And that's typically what we're seeing in, uh, in emergency management and then preparation or emergency preparedness is really focusing on that planning phase. The trying to sit down and hash out all the what ifs, mm -hmm. what could be the unexpected, such as something like zombies. We don't necessarily think about that as a reality in our everyday life. You're going to run into traffic every day. You're going to have hot weather. You plan for that. Zombies, maybe not, not so much. So much. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and you'll be proud to know that, like Troy spearheaded our emergency prepared um, document and plans in the library. because in right, the library. because it was yeah. it was things like we realized you know um, we have we have portable communication we have walkie talkies we'll take them so you can talk between the floors if you have a group of people on one floor and there's a group of people on the other floor you know right. so that you're in communication with them a number of things like that that we just hadn't thought of yeah. and, you know, you know our planned out. You know, people come in the library, they don't come in and immediately think, huh, where are the exits? Mm -hmm. Or sure. where do I go if there's a tornado? And so, in some ways, your staff has to be prepared to think for those people and then communicate with our campus police and emergency folks. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what we found in the history of disasters, believe it or not, is that many people fall into their occupational role. 
So students mm. would act like students should there be a disaster mm -hmm. in the sense that they would wait for where where do we go? What do we do? Someone will tell me. Mm. Whereas library staff would, this their job to direct students and anyone here visiting the library. Typically people have fallen into that role and the better trained and the more that you've actually practiced it, the more comfortable you're going to be because fear is going to overcome all of us, right. whether we right. are you know, trained or not. So yeah. that we'd like to think that I would be very steely mind and stay calm, but it's just a biological reaction. That's what keeps us safe and hopefully mm -hmm. alive. So that's actually, it's very relevant. And I think even worthwhile mentioning is you think about being on an airplane. They run through the safety mechanisms. And you Correct. look around that airplane. Some people ignore it. They're yeah. not even listening. Right. They already have their headphones on. I'm flipping through SkyMall. Look at this crazy gadget. <laughs> you know, I've heard this before. And what we find that actually in emergencies, even though they're large marked red signs, where do I go? Where do I? I don't mm -hmm. even know. I've walked past this every day. I don't know. So to constantly refresh on it, it is important because we do get fairly blasé in our everyday da, 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 going about our business. With the framework you laid out um, in terms of emergency preparedness with the response and the prep, and what do you think um, World War Z in particular, but other zombie stories, what do they get right and what do they get wrong? I think what especially World War Z gets very accurate is how slow everyone is to respond. And I liked in the, as much as very proud to be an American, we live in a great country, but it was really American pride that resulted in Brooks' depiction of our acceptance that this is a real problem. And, and we should clarify, we're talking about the book now, not the film. Correct, correct, yes, we are talking about the book. And I think the book does an excellent job in that we don't think it'll, we can handle anything that were to come over our borders and we think that we're safe and we have a trust in our infrastructure and we don't sense weaknesses and we've been fine up until this point. So I think that the zombie stories have really gotten a good sense of that I don't think it will happen here and so therefore we don't prepare and I think World War Z does a very good job of that until unfortunately it's too late and many that's our everyday life that we it, unless it's right in front of us it's not something we like to think about. And, and we had talked a little bit about, um, you know, zombies obviously are not real, but, you know, there are outbreaks in the world, and there are these, these situations, and so we should be prepared in case something like that happens. So if you were a student on campus or one of our students, what are the things that you would recommend um, that you should have for preparedness to think about? Well, certainly, and just awareness of what are the threats that face us here at Moraine. Something that we incorporate in the criminal justice classes is a active shooter component. Now, luckily, we are very fortunate on, cap on campus with Chief O'Connor, who is a, a foremost expert on active shooter. We are very safe on campus. The likelihood of anything of that sort happening is fairly rare. But we are, one of the benefits of this college is that we are the community. Anyone can come in, anyone can go out. We don't and we have a broad variety of people on campus. So someone who might look out of place probably wouldn't, unless it's a day like today where it's very warm, and why would that individual have a trench coat on mm -hmm. and a hand <laughs> or a ski mask? But even still, many of us are in our everyday focus of, I need to check my Facebook and then get to class and um, get, out of, <laughs> get out of here, that we may not notice some of those idiosyncrasies. But as far as just having an awareness of how um, 
quickly information travels as well. That's one thing that I thought was really interesting about the book World War Z is that I don't know if Brooke's intention was to model the spread of HIV out of Africa, but how quickly that actually happened. And to have an awareness of our own health initiatives, where you can go, what, what are what the resources that are available to you, I think is very relevant. But just knowing what the risks are here at uh, Moray, ours are probably much more weather related than having a severe sort of bioterror outbreak, which we're very fortunate for. However, um, that's we're probably very lucky with the amount of resources that we have in our community, the amount of hospitals, the mm -hmm. access to immunizations. Uh, but with the snow that we saw that we had the past several years, actually, where um, campus shut down at 2 o'clock, I believe, it was it in the fall a semester, maybe early spring, mm -hmm. and right. then sure. in two years ago where we actually shut down for three days. How are you going to get to campus? How do you get your information about what's going on campus? And information of that sort. So I think students can be, can use World War Z as simply a great mm -hmm. example of that we are vulnerable to, that doesn't mean you need to live every single day in a bubble or never leave your home, but that you can take everyday precautions um, and just simply keeping aware right. in what your immediate environment is and could, should be. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we translate from um, our campus and we think about our homes, what kind of um, preparedness do we have uh, in our homes? Well, the probably the clearest message that has come out of the CDC as far as their zombie apocalypse preparedness is that every home should be prepared to sustain itself for three days. You hmm. should have a gallon of water per person in your home, food that is sustainable. A th gallon per day? Per day, correct, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for correcting me on that. A gallon per day per person. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. whether that be bottles um, or even the ability to purify water, any camping store would, would have access to, to those materials. Um, having food that you normally eat that may sustain itself for uh, a period of time. We think of having canned beets and canned you know, Brussels sprouts and then the emergency comes and either you're <laughs> probably going to be in a pretty bad state. But medication that you may need um, and having cl extra clothing, having batteries, do you have mm -hmm. access mm -hmm. to, you don't, may not need a generator, but the three days is a particular guideline that if we have trust in the government that they will, and our emergency managers and our preparedness, that they will have at least transportation lanes open. But the also an element to think about, and I think is very relevant for our students, is that your relief centers in the book, you know, they talk about um, zombie shelters. That you, how far could you walk in a day? Mm -hmm. And could right. you carry? And I think of myself as a mother of two, a five and a three-year-old. Would I be pushing them in a stroller? Would I be carrying one of these children? But your relief center may be a distance that you may have to travel. But I also think that that causes us to assess: if you can't carry it, you don't need it. Mm. So sure. that's yeah. an interesting aspect. And are there resources to find out, like in your own neighborhood, where you would go in an emergency? Like if you don't have those resources at home, or are there, you know, resources right now that would tell me, you know, who I should be contacting? How, you know, if lines of communication are down, what's my next resort? That kind of thing. Most communities use the online form right now. You can go to the online emergency management page. They'll give you updates. 
A funny side note to this zombie uh, storyline is Montana's emergency alert system actually was hacked several months ago, <laughs> and the citizens were warned that the zombie apocalypse was happening. Mm. So they are still in the process of investigating how this actually happened, who was in charge of this, but that prepare yourself, zombies are coming, Montana. And people <laughs> didn't know what to do. What this is, this is our legitimate source of um, alert and information. But having a radio that um, operates on battery would probably be very important. Having Very handy. That happened to me when the storm sounds, the sirens went off. And I found myself down in the basement going, I don't have a radio with me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what to do except wait for the sirens to stop. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you just do not think about these things. And we are very reliant on our smartphones, which is a mm -hmm. great resource mm -hmm. of information. Typically what we see is that, um, I think, up in Canada where they had an, an emergency, oh, and I'm embarrassed to be blanking out, but believe it or not, Twitter actually shut down their emergency management because mm -hmm. they have reached the maximum amount of tweets per the day. And that's what they were using to get information wow. to mm -hmm. to the community. So they had actually, the, I believe one of the gentlemen, the emergency manager, started using his personal account to get information. But so having access to a, a radio that's battery operated, spare chargers for your phone mm -hmm. that you could keep it operational, as, as assuming that we do have sure. electricity at that time. And I, most frequently, it's word of mouth. So it's just simply having that awareness ahead of time, where might be relief centers in my community should something happen. And most people tend to flock to the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And that can mm -hmm. be a good or a bad thing, that the hospitals very quickly then become overwhelmed, but it is typically considered a central meeting point for m many people uh, during an emergency. You know, you know, I talked to Chief O'Connor about some of this um, just on the side, and he said one thing people don't think about is having, especially medications, like if there's a fire, um, families may have a point where everyone goes to meet, but then they realize, oh, you know, grandma's pills are up in the medicine cabinet, now all burnt up, mm -hmm. and even know what to do, and if there was a significant kind of fire that, that really impacted a community, or a tornado, or whatever um, horrible event, that it may not be so easy to get replacements for that. Correct. He suggested having kind of a bag of stuff mm -hmm. that you would contact information that if, if someone found it, they could get to you. Right. You think of if, if somebody's a diabetic, um, like how long can they go without insulin right. if they're insulin dependent or somebody with a heart condition, you know, any number of those things. Yeah. And that is what happens. I mean, people get you know, removed from... You know, the, the support um, systems. Are well, they get removed from the area of impact, and then they're not allowed back in because it's not considered safe. Right. What, for instance, when there's a bad storm or an earthquake. Right. Yeah. One, of, I think, to even follow your question to what could someone do is knowing what is the what your community offers because that is one really, I think, reaffirming aspect. And I think Brooks text highlights this as well is that in disasters, people do come together. But you have to know where to go, how to reach up. People do take care of one another. And we found, I think, um, it was the film depiction of War of the Worlds, the most recent one with Tom Cruise. And he, he has mm. the only operating vehicle. And people are trying to pull his young daughter out of the car, and they're banging. And I think that's probably that mob mentality is just as scary. How would people react? Well, luckily, disaster preparedness and emergency response has really found that in these events, people do rally together. But it's best to kind of jumpstart that by having awareness of what your community does have available, by knowing where those resource centers may or may not be, who should you call, 
but then having those materials available, even something as simple as, and this is I encourage my own students, taking a photocopy of everything that's in your wallet front and back hmm. and having that as well hmm. that wow. unfortunately it doesn't it seem like even if your wallet's just stolen or it goes missing and we'd like to think that somebody wouldn't pick up oh here's a, a debit card I'm going on a spending spree <laughs> we'd like to think that wouldn't happen as much as community rallies together but to have those it, it's just one less thing to worry about having the documents that you may need mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, establishing identity your residence and things of that nature I think what becomes overwhelming is this sounds like I need water, I need food, I need batteries, should I run to Home Depot right now and, and get all this? And the nice thing is you don't have to do it all at once. The next trip to the grocery store, get that case of water and put it in your designated area. Put a couple of blankets down there in that designated area slowly over time so that it begins, not only that, if it's a lifelong process, then you are replacing batteries that have probably died or replacing medication that has aged. So it's a continual thought process of keeping this up to date especially as threats and weather changes and as we as we see. So one I did want to comment, Troy, that you had mentioned that zombies aren't real. Well, I, I certainly hope not. I enjoyed the book, <laughs> but there is a, a caveat to this that there is a section of the public that part of the CDC's response or the controversy has been, well, clearly the government knows something we don't, and that they are secretly trying to prepare us. So that is something to maybe think about, whether it's for a flood or a tornado or potentially zombies, as a small camp of people believe, that to be prepared either way. <laughs> And then we have planned a public discussion. Yes, so on that's this topic also, yeah, which would right? be fun. So this is just a taste. Um, it is called "Surviving a Zombie Apocalypse," which will be Tuesday, September twenty fourth at twelve thirty here in the library. And Michelle will be one of our panel members, along with um, some other faculty members. I think part of this discussion will be um, serious and the kinds of things we talked about here, and also kind of just fun. Like, what would you do if it really happened? So I think we're going to try to play it light, but also have some good information out of it. So I hope you can, um, that listeners can uh, join us for that. And also, if, I wanted to ask Michelle, if you were a student on campus and you really are into this, like you think this sounds like a great way to make a career out of it, um, what are the things that we offer on campus that they could explore? Well, we are very excited to that we are currently have the Homeland Security Certificate, which is 17 credit hours. We actually have a hazardous materials awareness weekend course coming up for mm -hmm. um, students or if you have a busy with a job during the week, a great condensed way to get this hazardous materials awareness course um, done with. And then on the books, we are still filing the uh, paperwork and crossing our T's and dotting our I's, but slated fall 2014 will be an actual emergency preparedness certificate, 18 hours. So conjunction with the fire science program that we have on campus, our security certificate, homeland security, emergency preparedness, students of the criminal justice background, but also business, our nursing students, a great variety of students would really benefit from this knowledge. Any student who can go into a job saying, I understand writing an emergency operation plan will be greatly appreciated mm -hmm. by a potential employer. Okay. Well, thank you for coming. Any closing thoughts? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we look forward uh, to the conversation in the fall, and thank you to all of our listeners.